as we spend a good deal of time on our own, even when we're uh, sitting together, then the edge of our practice is going to be in intimacy of our own hearts and minds and bodies and karma, what's happening and what skills there are there. It's important to make oneself a refuge, be a refuge to oneself. Is the and this is, if you like, the the address. This is where we live. There's no point in in um, taking refuge somewhere else. And the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. That's say that's the name that's what we use that's what we bring into that place so it's knowing where where we are (coughs) many levels physically karmically in terms of us psychology and emotions have health or ill health and uh, these are all going to be um, specific, particular and so we have to bring the teachings to that place and of course you can get you know, too too refined over that like, you know, too fine definitions of oneself it's an astrological predicament or you know the Saturn is conjunct with Mars, whatever. <laughs> but basically, you know, we refer to the general sense, the chitta, the general sense of of how we are. We keep referring to that. So you, to work with it, that sense of how one is um, directly rather than conceptually. You know, conceptually, just the ideas that we can create, which are vast, but directly. It's it's quite simple. Maybe not terribly clear, as clear as ideas are. We're just coming into that presence, one's presence, which is probably slightly cloudy or not, not terribly clear. And then how do we know we have a body? What gives rise to that sense? Then how's that? Is that okay? Or is that how's that sense of of that? Mm. What's our relate? Our relating with that? The only just about there, or very feel very active, buzzing, um, bristling, tense, joyful, sleepy. Just getting these kind of basic references. So if we, though we, rather than building up a, a, a particular set of definitions of where one is, which can, which gets conceptual again, you know, I'm a person with these kind of difficulties or these skills or, um, you know, I have a lot of problem with doubt or restlessness or greed or something. You know, 
actually taking it to directly now, and it can be uh, quite surprising when we come past the ideas of ourselves. It comes down to something like, you know, there's not a lot of trust here. There's not a lot of ease here. There's a sense of of uh, strain here, or sadness, or you know, urgent or sort of some sort of urging, driving sense here. Kind of something perhaps less easy to define, but uh, more intrinsic. It's not a lot of giving here, not a lot of generosity here. In terms of applying the Dhamma, then this is, this is a very potentially huge topic. So in the teachings that are given, verbal teachings and books and so forth, written teachings, is naturally expressed in, in conceptual terms. And uh, it gives us a good conceptual framework of how to, how to work with with our state of being as it's occurring, how the patterns are, how it lines up. So this is very helpful. But also one has to uh, translate that into into direct kamatana experiences, the direct you know, perceptual um, experiences, direct perceptual agencies. You know, we tend to use a word like Dispassion, or harmony, or attention, or whatever. These are these are concepts, and we know them all, or know a huge amount of that. Striking that uh, the, the the scriptures are full of this, and the, and the commentaries also. Um, but also, they, they use Buddha use a lot of very powerful symbolic uh, metaphors and language to express things. So instead of saying something like, you know, one must understand that the nature of cells is to break out the tissues, undergo a process of degeneration, and say, contemplate a corpse seven days old with the crows, and the crows and the jackals have pecked at it and ripped it apart. Oh. <laughs> you know, you, you get that. It's, it's much more festering blue black flesh, uh, white bits of bone sticking out. And it's got a lot more powerful hold on it than uh, contemplate the nature of the cellular disintegration. And I, I would, you know, the Buddha always used things that must have been well-known sites to people in those days. You know, when charnel grounds, you don't have charnel grounds. They just leave bodies to rot. You don't, can't do that in Britain. And I, you know, dead monk kind of draped in a compost bin. <laughs> so always got nicely packaged up in a little box somewhere. And that's it. So you, you, you know, it, but then these, these, these are much more concrete things affect, affect one 
perceptually and instinctively, intuitively, they, they much more so than the concept, which is very useful for when one's building up maps, if you like, like how does, you know, am I checking in with, with, uh, you know, um, detachment or dispassion? Am I understanding mindfulness? Is that, is that ready? And then, you know, actually, what is that? Do you have a perception for that? Do you have an image for that? Mm. Somebody, there's one that says, Nibbana is like meeting an old friend at the crossroads. Which is a lovely expression. Mm. Or the images that come up many times in the suttas of a uh, strong man flexing his, his arm one way or another. Or, you know, being, uh, as two strong men would drag a weaker one towards a flaming pit of charcoal or something like that. You imagine the struggle that that person would put up. <clears throat> or the kind of relief uh, uh, that, that sensual um, gratification gives. And the Buddha said, this is rather like, uh, imagine a leper with sores and every now and then he might you know, burn one with, with lye, which is kind of like a, like a strong, um, caustic thing. So that moment when, you know, the, the thing was actually kind of being cauterized, there might be a sense of, ah, he said, that's, that's, that's how I regard sensory gratification. <laughs> but then of course it comes back, or just like you might scratch, scratch some weeping rash with, with your nails. And at that moment, is that sense of relief. But as soon as you stop, the thing flares up worse. And this is, this is, this is a kind of so powerful image, such powerful imagery that, that uh, often it's difficult to uh, bring them up because they're so they're so they're so pungent. We have to find ones that work for us, of course. To deal with the 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 actual disease that we have at any particular moment. Of um, say of, of mindfulness, of the ability to just bear hold attention. And the Buddha used the image of someone having to carry um, a pail or a bucket of think it was oil or water on their heads through a crowd and having this and uh, somebody going behind them if you if you spill one drop they'll cut your head off and uh, as they're walking along there's a, a beautiful dancing girl he said how much attention would you give you know that's the sort of sense of what mindfulness has to do to bear with even though there's things that entrance urge stimulate Goad, excite, hovering, you know, with that sense of really stay with this. What would you do? You know? And you do everything you possibly could to, to, to bear that, that thing in mind. You have to contemplate, you know, debate what is the disease that we're dealing with. 
with the sense we come into our presence Sometimes just finding the right way to, to contemplate that with for that moment without having to fix it or analyze it, certainly not conceptualize it. This is so instinctive for us to immediately when we experience something to to go to a concept which provides us clarity. So we go into something, oh here I am dissociating, or here I am, you know, being irritable, or here I am being tense, or here I am being restless. And these maybe all be true in their own field of expression. But but it doesn't necessarily do us much good other than give us a, a reference. You know, it's not it's not it doesn't hold, doesn't get to the point. Sometimes we're able to to come up with or allow particular images Sanya perceptions or memories to to arise out of that. They are they, if you like, the heart's own expression of what it really feels like to be with this. This feels like being twisted. This feels like you know being plugged into an electric current. Uh, this feels like having your head in a cement mixer. <laughs> you know, when you're getting wound up in something, this feels like being dragged into a sawmill, you know, a chainsaw snarling. When you're getting really revved up and snarling, and the mind starts snarling. You know, listen to the sound of a chainsaw, pretty much the same. But whatever the sanya is, you know, there, there, there's a um, there's a, a wisdom in there. So the, the hindrance, the disturbance, actually contains a germ of wisdom, which is it's giving always giving us a clue as to as to what would lead to the resolution of that disturbance, that tangle, that hindrance, that clogging. And often it's in the way that the, the citta actually experiences or expresses that, the felt effect of it. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, you know, I feel like I'm being twisted up, then it's, hmm, why, do why don't I stop doing that? Mm-hmm. Or just the, it, it, uh, just finding attention to that and noticing how that's happening itself can, just by doing that alone, takes the energy out of doing that. And it seems the, the jitta seems to correct itself. It may need prompting, like, why do you do this? Why, why do you... Why, why are you so busy? Why, what is the urgency? What, what is the 
drive or what's that happening there or, or it can be something like you know, what, what do you need what's needed here and be aware of the tendency for the conceptual mind to, to jump in and say well what you need is you know it's not that it's something that uh, arises much more immediately and perhaps uh, more perceptually than conceptually in terms of an image or a mood of some kind and then perhaps after that you probably get oh all right I needed to be more dispassionate, but then you know that—that's the, you know, the concept comes after the experience. If it works like that, it's it's um, a skillful one, because that's the way it actually always has been in our lives. Concepts come from after the experience, you know, the way we learn in our lives. You know, the baby, you don't say what you need is nutrition or <laughs> sustenance. You stick a spoon in its mouth. <laughs> and then it eventually gets around a spoon, food, and then you know, more complex notions come after that. You know, dinner time or eating two veg or whatever it is. You know. Come later. But the, you know, the, the basic uh, experience, the tangible experience comes first and then the, and then the other stuff comes after it. So, it's rather like in meditation we are in a way re rewiring, reprogramming our systems which have been conditioned into you know, when that particular feeling occurs it means um, you know there's something wrong with you um, so cover it up or get out of it or stop it or, or you know, do something, or eat something, or don't eat something. You know, it, it turns into these kind of little coded responses to experiences. So, in terms of, of and these are these are based on self-view, impulse, and, and conditioning, in order to to be a socially acceptable, well-integrated neurotic. <laughs> with all sorts of built-in attachments so after a while you don't need any more programming because one's completely programmed to continually cajole um, entice um, demand make demands upon oneself and wound oneself and punish oneself do it all, all perfectly perfect timing you don't need anybody else to do it. Complete brainwashing. But it's never really complete because the, the jitta doesn't actually, it never really obeys these things. Well, most people don't really live in their, in their, in their hearts. They're living very much on a conceptual, um, in, uh, programming or on something more innate and intimate and why meditation of course is something that's comparatively rare because to, to, to drop into that is in a way uh, going forth from the, the social patterning and we're coming to a territory that, that has never really followed that stuff anyway 
but has been severely neglected. So it's both confused and uh, lacks confidence and it's uh, not fresh and it's also, um, you know, suffering the effects of neglect. So firstly, there can be just that in that that's in, when one enters the chitta, that sense of well, what do I do? What's going to be doing? Do something? You know, there's a slight tremble, a panic, or uncertainty because we are in a way leaving the world behind. So there can be something like that. It can be a great relief also, or a mixture of these things. Somehow, obviously, if one's meditating, one wants to be there. There's a relief at coming to something authentic. And yet it's also slightly perilous and peculiar, raw, dangerous, uh, wonderful and awful. Mm. So there can be that looking for concepts to hold it all together. We kind of keep dipping in and pulling out again, dipping in and pulling out again. And when one's practicing on one's own, you can get into these passages where all quick, you know, you come out again and what am I supposed to do with this? You know, we look for an idea. Concept. In terms of, of strengthening one's refuge and one's practice, to really um, you know, remember some of these these skills can, can never be can never be learnt. They're they're innate, they're already there. It's a matter of taking the risks, exploring the experience, the feeling of you know you can this you can do this. Chitta itself is uh, is wise, but you have to learn its language. It's trying to say something. You have to learn its language, not a conceptual language. It's naturally there's there's uh, there's awareness there. There's wisdom there, there's balance there. But it, it's, the language is confused, one is sometimes not really entering fully into that. Um, so it's, it gets very cloudy. The concrete images help, concrete impressions, uh, visions, images of that nature, they, they can help us to to give the jitta something where it can gather its its uh, its expressiveness and use that. When we come to areas such as kindness and compassion and and appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, of course, these are all words and concepts. And uh, as much as we value what those meanings bring up for us, of course the the concepts don't do it. It's trying to get a reference to what is benevolence, actually as a as a tangible experience. What does it feel like? Where has it been? Do you have a reference for that? So we start ladling it out. Do we have what's the soup? 
And of course, the uh, one of the, the difficulties is that when we most need it, we're at least able to really connect to that. Uh, we can connect to it conceptually, but perceptually, it's not maybe not there. Perceptually, we may be feeling, you know, tense, tight, irritable, judgmental, unforgiving, fed up, cynical, bored. So then, loving kindness. Another thing we've got to do. <laughs> Another thing I'm no good at. No good at loving kindness either. So, so you know, then it doesn't becomes an idea, a concept. You can't you can't make much use of it. And it actually, the hindrance takes it over the idea, and then uses it as something else that we can complain about ourselves for lacking. So references, so we, in terms of cultivating metta, do we have a reference for that? What is it like to, ex- to experience well-being, benevolence, well-wishing, fondness, appreciation? So it may be that we we remember a person who brings that up for us. This is useful. But then again, the problem can be, well, you know, he was such a fine person, or my brother or my sister or whatever. They're so wonderful, unlike me. (laughs) So it can... Again, it, it can bring up the mood, the sanya, but then I can also feel well at somebody else. So it's it's um, important in dealing with the negativity of the mind to the occasions when one actually does feel uh, you know, treasured, cared for, uh, valued. Acts of kindness that have been done to us. And not um, just as an expression of other people's kindness, but what it, what it felt like. What it, what it felt like. Bringing that sanya, that perception and mood into the into the mind of the the sense of just being carried for that moment that. You know, the, the, the pressure was off, the tension wasn't there, the need, the urgency, the judgment, whatever. One was just uh, loved, appreciated, valued, gratitude was expressed. The feeling, you know, the lift of that, it's like you don't have to do it right now, you don't have to make it. It's coming to you as it is. Let yourself receive that. Quite, and in this case, metta is is quite a miracle. Because you know? all of my life is very much about deserving and and uh, being worthy and, and all that kind of thing, which has has a certain truth to it. 
But at that moment of receiving kindness, there's no need anymore. You know, it's, it's like the, the, that particular moment, there is just the uplift and the support. There's no need to be winning it or deserving it at that particular moment. Sometimes with um, that experience of, of the kindness or the gratitude of others, you know, what can come is how, do, how does one pay that back? Or, you know, but then to just relax, appreciate that. I notice, certainly in my own um, conditioning, then this is uh, experiencing other people's well-being, kindness is um, not un- not unusual. People are very kind to me many times. There's a lot of it. But receiving it has been strangely problematic. They're really taking it in. Because uh, there's always that sense comes up of, well, I should do something. You know, I should do something to, to pay it back or something uh, I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it, it's not it's not an idea I have. It's just a reflex. No matter no, the talk, you know, it doesn't, I can't talk myself out. It's just a reflex of of that. It's something like you know the sense of just being picked up with benevolence is slightly uh, brings up a kind of slightly nervous sense. You know, when it's momentarily feet are off the ground, one is momentarily not independent, momentarily one is not just relying upon one's own energies and skills or strength or whatever, we're just resting in somebody else's kindness. And that uh, can be strangely um, nervous experience. It's a loss of, in a way, a loss of self, a loss of personality. Because this is its beauty, if we can if we can open to that. And it sometimes takes time. The, the, the warmth and the kindness that we all uh, feel is, is essentially the aspect of what is good in a human being can take time to really actually uh, open and feel and, and allow and express and experience without some sort of awkwardness or embarrassment or um, deflective uh, gestures. Oh, no, no, so please, you shouldn't bother. No, don't worry about it. I'm all right, thank you. <laughs> we want you to kind of blunt it a little bit. <laughs> Because of the nervousness of being touched, in a way. So this is partly the whole problem of self and other. It's something that requires a little bit of negotiation for most people. How another person, or another person's energies, touches. It's this sort of, you know, some caution there. And of course, there's good reason for that, or, or good memory, some sort of tissue, cellular memory of that. It hasn't always been unconditioned benevolence. 
And then sometimes it's, I find it useful just to contemplate or to bring my attention to a sense in, in, the, in the body itself of that. So, as yesterday I was using this image of the hands, just the, the experience, the felt the sense of the hands, the feeling sense of the hands. Um, you know, we have the backs of them with the, the hard, hard back of the hand. But then, certainly, as one sits in meditation, with the samat, the mudras of meditation, uh, all brings in touch with how soft and gentle and, and cradling the hands are. You know, the, the the inner surfaces, the palms, the fleshy fingertips, and how what exquisite delicacy they can have. You can pick up a fly by the wings without hurting it. You know, it's when I was fishing a beetle out of my toilet you know, trying to, to get it out without damaging it and get his little legs under a finger amazing things hands that you can do with them you know you can um, touch the most you know painful part with just the gentlest touch possible slightly brush or even just put the hand close to something and the very that very energy or gesture itself has a kind of reassuring quality. You know, very often, when we when we really want to um, communicate something heartfully to another person, there's a there's a hand gesture or touch. Of course, in you go to Italy, you don't really need to use much else. It's all, and it's it's a very beautiful thing because you. If you don't speak the language, you know, you've got a good idea of what's being meant, what's being said. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's something, I, I really enjoy that myself. It's, it's, it's totally different from the English way, but I, I enjoy that. It's, I like that warm, warm, even, um, you know, fiery expressiveness. It's, I find it very gives me a lot of contact, which I enjoy. Yeah. But if you go into the, this is just an upaya that I sometimes use, just going, a skillful means I sometimes use, if you go into the sense of the, that, those, those, the hands, and you, you contemplate, yeah, you bring into your mind the idea of, of, of how we hold something hot, it's hot. How do you hold something you're not certain of? How do you hold something that's cracked or broken? How do you hold something that's uh, that's leaking or, or something that's wounded? How do you hold something that uh, um, is stiff or rigid? How do you hold something that needs um, massage? Or how do you how do you hold something you want to really probe? And you know, point, point a finger into and push on a knot. With how do you undo something, just with the edges of your fingers? How do you gently pick a, you know, a fly off the wall without hurting it? So these, any of these or anything, the way that you use your hands, 
gives you, in a way, gives you an immediate non-conceptual reference to ways and means of handling the, the jitta effects that we have, the anger, or the irritation, or the fear, or the passions, or the craving. How do you handle them? I sometimes use the word handle because it's to do with hands. But unfortunately, handle can bring up the conceptual notion of deal with, cope, manage. You know, I'm going to handle this, which is always um, not a terribly responsive thing. But what I mean is, how do you get your hands around it in, in that in that responsive way? So the, the language often gives us a good unfortunately gives us an idea of how hands are normally used like manipulate is to do with the hands isn't it? manage the hands manhandle something you know, it's a gross way in which um, you know the defilements go through the hands but how do we, how do we touch this so in a way just to bring up something which may by going into that felt sense of, of of the hands and then running some of these questions through it, just noticing how maybe you get a slightly different take on how do you how do you calm something down with your hands? How do you stroke a wild horse? Um, how do you pick up a bird with a broken wing? How do you undo a knot? Do you just get frantic? Or do you carefully press and push and twist around and take it this way and that way? How do we unravel something? I mean, these are, you know, I find much more useful than just patience, uh, equanimity, kindness. Uh, and how do we congratulate with our hands? Shake hands, you know, Put your hand on somebody's shoulder, some sort of way in which one congratulates with the hands. I find much more, uh, a much more stronger perceptual experience, a chitra experience, than say cultivating mudita. You know, appreciative joy. Appreciative joy. And then, oh, it means, but it doesn't actually go on to the right address. How do we protect with the hands? How do we shield? So this can be um, a way in which one, say, gets some references to how we apply ourselves in the intimacy of meditation to our uh, to to the, the effects in the chitta. I find this very often. What's um, language that's used is things like watching or knowing. And again, you know, that there's as concepts. There's nothing wrong with that. But as percepts, they can be somewhat. Um, that 
unresponsive. This knowing is going to be there. Seeing. Whereas hand references really you know, deal with the specific touch and feel of something. Now, if we, we can, so it's important with these things to, to find the right timing. So, of course, we can just jump in and start lugging things around, you know, pulling bits in and pushing things around in our minds. So it's finding the right timing, the right distance, if you like. And I, I guess um, maybe this is for many people, but certainly for myself, then you know, the, the default mechanism is get in, you know, get into it, work on it, grab a hold of it, get you know, sort it out, um, get up close. Some things that they'll feel you get close to, get up close with, some things you need to stand back from. The distance is, is a variable. Some things one contemplates more equanimity, the even hand, which is like an open hand. It's not, it's receptive, saying if you want, but it's just like an open hand. It's not actually holding or touching or doing it, it's just an open, available hand that's, that's, that's rested. Uh, you know, we perhaps begin with something like that, you know, just the abiding, first of all, in an equanimity that disengages the compulsiveness that we can come to, of feeling we've got to deal with everything. Let's check it out. Some things will just unravel by themselves in the, in the presence of that equanimity. Some of the jitteriness unravels just in the presence of that, that equanimity. And then we may know with, from that, just how, how we have to touch something. How close to get. So, this is something we, we can only work out for ourselves in the moment by knowing, uh, you know, asking, if you like, the jitta to give us Guidance, give us the clue, what it, what feels, where it feels one's connecting in a way that's responsive and aware rather than programmed. And certainly using imagery helps one to keep from just spacing out. Going into which is a say big problem for meditators is the the so-called detachment becomes more like a a disconnection.
So how to how to use just using imagery? Even if we don't do anything, particularly just using imagery that keeps us in the area, keeps us tuned in to that channel, and then seeking in that what is needed, uh, what's skillful here, what's being asked for here. 